Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, is where we're going to start. Track with me, it's on the screen as well. Here we go. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all of this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon, or Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. Number one in your notes, do we limit Jesus? Do we limit Jesus? Now, it was not for lack of ability or power that Jesus could not perform miracles in that town. He certainly could have. It was lack of opportunity. Here he is ready to heal diseases and cast out demons, and no one comes to him. Not one person. They stand, instead of coming to him with their needs, they stand over here and they point at him with a, the with a type of jealousy or envy because of all of a sudden the popularity that he seems to have, and they say, I know who that is. He's a carpenter. His dad was a good carpenter, and I will go to Jesus if I need a chair made. But I will not believe that he is the promised Messiah, the Christ. I don't believe that the Spirit of God is upon him. And is that not like our current culture, where many are, uh, will admire him as a good teacher, They'll admire him as a good example, but not as God in the flesh, as he claimed to be. Not as the spirit of power for my present need. Offended at the idea. People are offended at the idea, and thus they limit themselves by resisting Jesus. But even us as Christians, and many of us as Christians, do we limit Jesus are you limiting Jesus today in your life? It's a good question. Later in Mark chapter 6, 35 through 38, it says, Late in the afternoon his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And we're going to stop right there. You can read the rest on your own. What happens is he turns that five loaves of bread, two fish, into enough food to feed 5,000 and that's just counting the men. 5,000. And there's 12 buckets left over. Right? And so a miracle, awesome miracle. After that, um, 
he sends his disciples in a boat across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus departs. A big storm comes up overnight, and we, we pick it up in Mark 6, 50, just a little bit later in that chapter. Huge storm. The, the disciples are fearing for their life, but Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Interesting, that verse 52. Why were they so afraid? And then why were they so amazed when Jesus stopped the wind and peace be still and the lake calmed down? They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Number two, Jesus can work things out when there seems to be no way. Things do not have to look like they will work out for them to work out. Let that encourage you today. Some of you see there is no way anything is going to work out. You know, things don't have to look like they're going to work out for things to work out. That's encouraging. Because he can make a way where there seems to be no way. And he likes to do that. It's fun for him. Um, the original language says that they considered not the lesson of the loaves. They considered not the lesson of the loaves. They just saw the miraculous happen. Jesus creating that much food from five loaves of fish, two, uh, five loaves, two fish. They considered not the loaves. They, con- they failed to consider the all-sufficiency of Christ. The the power of God that we talked about this morning. God is bigger than you think. He has more power than you think, more ability and more desire many times than we believe him to have. To do something and to provide. Isn't it like us to forget what God has done in the past? It's like us to forget how God moved in our life just last week. It's gone and all we can see is waves. We forget about the feeding of the 5,000. Bible history, we can look and see God's faithfulness and his track record throughout all of time, and we can equally see people, God moves on their behalf, and minutes later, they forget. They forget. We're instructed to remember and not forget. Say, remember? Remember. Don't forget. forget. Okay, you're going to forget tomorrow. (laughs) But we need to remember and don't forget what God has done throughout time, and for many of us, specific things in our life. We know God moved and he worked in a way, and we don't want to forget. David did not forget. <clears throat> when David came and, and the Israelites were being oppressed by the Philistines, and the Philistine leader was Goliath, and Goliath was taunting the, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, and David said, who is this guy who defies God like that? I will fight him. And everybody looks at what? This teenager coming in, no military experience, and you're going to take on their warrior, trained leader, military giant. And he's brought to the king, and the king says, how are you going to fight him? And David remembered. He said, when I was in the fields watching my sheep, a lion tried to attack them, and God gave me the ability, the power to defend the sheep against the lion. I killed the lion. And a bear came against them at one time, and I killed the bear. And the God who delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. 
A lot of courage. Why? Because he remembered. He considered the loaves is a way of putting it. God can do the miraculous, and he does do the miraculous. And he can take care of our needs. He can take care of our needs. When has God come through for you personally? Those would be some good things to not just let escape your mind this morning, but to write them in the, um, the bottom part of your note sheet before we leave today. Moving on to Mark 8. Mark 8. <coughs> Deja vu. About this time, another large crowd has gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. Stop right there. Jesus is not moved by peer pressure. And he doesn't have to do something to prove himself. He is moved with compassion. He desires to help. He desires to heal and to restore and to build us. He desires to. But he will not answer to someone who says, prove yourself, or he will not answer to peer pressure. I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Remember and don't forget. That's how. Remember and don't forget. Jesus asks, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. The long short of this story, he does the same thing. Feeds over 4,000, that's just counting the men, 4,000 plus all the families, kids, wives. And they have seven baskets left over. Number three on your outline, Jesus is looking for faith. He's looking for faith. Jesus asked the exact same question. How much bread do you have? Verbatim. How much bread do you have? Exact same question. Looks him in the eye. Jesus is looking for progress. And faith. What if one of the disciples said, Sweet! He's going to do it again! Right? Say, how much bread do you have? And they're like, oh, oh, here we go again, guys. This is awesome. Oh, man. We can stay in diapers spiritually, and we can just keep drinking milk and no solid foods. We can have no faith that God will provide. He can provide for us yesterday and the next day. We can worry about it again. Oh, I don't know. My bank is on empty. I have all the bills due. There's no money coming. Are you growing in your trust of God? Are you stepping forward in faith according to your passions, skills, needs around you? Hey, there's precedent in the Bible for planning. There's a precedence for planning, for being diligent, for working hard. Yes, those are all attributes and, and things that we need to be to do a good job on and be um, diligent with. <clears throat> but when it passes that point of, of, of good planning and, uh, and diligence to obsession and worry and striving and haste and anxiety, then guess what? 
we're narrow-minded. And our trust is in ourselves. And we're limiting Jesus. And we're limiting God. And we don't believe that he's going to take care of us. Mark 8.13, this is just moments later. They feed the thousands, right? Feed the thousands. Like, almost like last time, they get on a boat. <coughs> Verse 13, 8.13, so he got back into the boat, and he left them, the crowds. And he crossed to the other side of the lake. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And because he used the word yeast, which talks about yeast is what makes bread rise, a crucial ingredient to make bread bread rise. Um, He says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, verse 16, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about not having any bread? Don't you understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? Don't you remember anything at all? You think I'm angry at you because you forgot to bring bread on the boat? You think we're going to starve crossing the lake because we don't have bread? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. Number four, do I pay too much attention to the temporal and place too much emphasis on the physical? What is obscuring my vision? Let's ask that of ourselves today. What is obscuring my vision? Ask ourselves, what is consuming me to the point that I am oblivious to what God is doing and what he desires to do? God, Jesus was not talking about bread. When he said, beware of the leaven of the fair, he was saying, like a little bit of leaven causes bread to to rise. Just, Just a very little bit. False teaching can have a great impact on the church. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. When they twist something, a reference or two, or they take something out of context when they're, when, they're, when they're teaching you. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It will spread. And it will have a big impact. You need to be discerning. Search the scriptures. That's what he's speaking about. They, can't, they don't get any of it because all their mind's on the temporal and the physical. Oh, he thinks we didn't bring enough bread. No, we're not going to have enough bread. We're not going to have dinner tonight. This stinks. What a terrible day. This... Um, this sermon right now can be taught from almost half the books in the Bible, 66 books in the Bible. This lesson is in so many books, and it's throughout the Old Testament. The children of Israel get set free of slavery. They're traveling across the wilderness to the promised land, and almost every chapter without fail. My kids, my kids, we sit on the couch at nights. We read a Bible story every night, and it's fun because the children's Bible says, the children of Israel, they get to the Red Sea, and they're like, oh, we should, have been, we should have went back to Egypt. We should go back to Egypt. Now we're going to get killed here, and God doesn't watch out for us. And God opens the sea. 
they get across the sea. And then they said, oh, we're going to starve out here. We're not going to have anything to eat. We should go back to, back to Egypt. It's better as slaves than to be out here. God's not going to take care of us. And then God gives them manna every morning. And then they get tired of manna. And they're like, oh, this is all we have to eat. We have nothing else to eat. And they don't ask God for anything. They just whine and complain. They never ask God, God, maybe, do you think you could, you made manna for us, that was cool. Could you make us some meat? Or some, some snicker bar? I, make us, and God might have said, sure, I was waiting for you to ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for my kids to trust me and want to talk to me and yeah. trust me. And I delight in doing good things and taking care of them. Sometimes God does just want to bless us. Sometimes he just wants to just take us off guard. We think, God will never do anything nice for me. He, just, he wants me to grow in discipline, and he wants me to mature, and he wants me to learn what's right. And God will help us grow in responsibility and maturity. Sometimes, sometimes dad just likes to bless the kids. Sometimes out of the blue, when we don't expect, he's like, got a snicker bar for you. Sometimes. That's happened to me. One time I, I suffered um, struggle, I should say, with an addiction for years and years um, as a teenager and into college. And I remember one time just failing on an addiction. And as soon as I get done failing with this addiction, God, I was in a rock band and we'd write songs. And sometimes we'd work and work for weeks to try to write songs. And I get done and I just, I fail with this addiction. And within like 10 seconds afterward, God gives me an entire song. And it's the most awesome song we ever had. And I was like, God, why did you just give me this really cool, awesome, true, good song right after I failed so miserably like that? Sometimes God just likes to bless us. Sometimes he just likes us and wants to show us it. And God's helped me with that addiction. And I've had 16 years of sobriety, which is really cool. And that's another sermon for another day. Oh, man. Hey, guys, what is obscuring your vision today? Survival? Security, stability, comfort, more money, college, career, nest egg, your looks, health. Identify that today, right? Write it down. Let God remind you. God, what is it that I am so focused on, I'm oblivious to anything you're trying to do and desire to do in my life? The next uh, passage for us is Luke 12. Um, This is just an example. This one's not on the screen. But uh, a couple years ago, Pastor Bob Lee preached a sermon series called The Bigger Barn Bug. And um, and that title stayed with me. And it was from this passage. A rich man had fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops, verse 18. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have enough room to store my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. There's so many things that can preoccupy us, and that scenario. It was the man's nest egg and his comfort. I remember John Erickson. He's a missionary that we support in Africa. He comes here. um, It's been a few years now, but he's been here numerous times. And a lot of times, twice when he's been here, he's brought up a big whiteboard right here. Those of you that have been here for some time will recall this. 
and he'll split the whiteboard in two. And he'll say, a lot of us do what this first column shows. What we'll do is we'll write down, uh, here's my plans for my life, God. I'm going to finish college. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to get married. And then I'm going to have kids. And then I'm going to raise my kids. And then I'm going to grow my business. And then I'm going to retire and, um, and whatever else. And then, so here it is, God. And now uh, here's the pen. And if you just want to sign your name right down there at the bottom, then we'll be, we'll be good to go. And then John Erickson says, that's how many of us approach God. We have our life planned out, and we say, God, sign off on that, please. And instead, he said, what we ought to do is go over to the blank side over here and say, God, I'm going to write my signature down here on the bottom, and now you fill it out. What's my life supposed to be, and where is it supposed to go? What am I supposed to focus on, and what am I supposed to do? I'm yours, Lord. I belong to you, God. What do you have for me? I trust you with my life, Lord. And I want to fulfill the mission you have for me, Lord, because I know it's noble and I know it's rewarding. And I know you can give me peace and joy in the midst of the storm. Well, Luke 12, 22 through 32. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, For life is more than food, and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Boy, God, you know, there's, there's so often when I'm striving and trying to make things and worrying... But when I look back and I can just see, when I'm just focused on what God has for me, for the day, and minute to minute or hour to hour, and how he's trying to develop me and mature me in my character, right? And in my love for my family and other people. And I can be aware of something that God's doing somewhere and exert some pressure in that direction. Be a vessel of his in some manner that I feel... I think this is something God wants to do in the area or in the world. And then I can push in that way, in that direction too, and see what God does. I can see God taking care of my needs behind me. And, and, there's, and there's years when I look and I talk with Kathy, it's like, oh my word. We had no idea what feeding six kids and getting six pairs of clothes every however often as they grow, how much that would cost. I mean, we knew it would be more expensive. But just looking back a year or two and then I see God's provision, I'm like, dude, God is taking care of us. God is taking care of us. Through side work or whatever it is that we're able to do, all of a sudden there's an opportunity and and God takes care of us. Luke 12, 22 through 34, we resume in 33, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. 
Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. <clears throat> Guys, number five is, what is Jesus doing? Number five, what is Jesus doing? He has a bigger mission for us, a bigger vision for us. And we need to seek first his kingdom, right? The, the disciples are fishing all night. <clears throat> Professional fishermen. And they haven't caught any fish. And Jesus, who we don't even know if he ever fished, says, hey, guys, throw your nets on the other side. We're professional fishermen. We've been out here all night. And you tell us to put our nets on the other side of our boat, and then we're going to catch fish. And they do it, and their nets are so full they begin to tear. Which is cool. And it's cool to know that fishing's not a problem and food's not a problem. But Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Don't worry about that. I mean, if you need to eat, we can get all the fish. I can tear your nets with fish if you want me to. But just come follow me. There's bigger things to focus on in life. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman, Peter, but feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep, Peter. It's the upward call that we have as citizens of heaven, as adopted children, adopted sons and daughters of God, that we have noble purposes and we have a Holy Spirit to speak to us and to strengthen us, to teach us according to his word and his scripture, to bring the gospel to people, help people grow in their faith. And it is a privilege and a joy and an honor. And this morning as uh, we close, I encourage you, if you have not yet wrote, written down what is the thing, things that are consuming you right now, to write that down. And to also write down, remember and do not forget what are some of those things that God has done that you need to recall right now and you need to, you need to lean on And say, God came through with me at this point in my life in college, and I know he will come through for me now, and he will provide for me. And he's trustworthy no matter what happens. I'll rely on him.